2: Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. It's International Break. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. Thank you for joining us. Now, you may think that there's no football in International Break, but we're going to try to be positive about this and uh, and tell you that there's actually lots of interesting stuff going on. With me in the studio today, it's Allison Rudd, who's going to have to dash. So we're going to talk really, really quickly because she has an important cup final uh, to get to. Uh, you're not playing, right, Allison?
4: I'm not. My son is. Same thing.
2: That's exciting. Cup finals that kick off on midday on a Monday, in keeping with the ancient English tradition. Also <laughs> joining us is Julian Lawrence, and uh, we will do our best to talk some Kylian Mbappe, uh, because sure. we can't really talk about him enough. And on the line from Denmark, where he's been hanging with AD Boothroyd and the England Under-21 teams, it's the only living Gearbrandt in captivity. It's James. <laughs> So, hey James, you don't mind that, but 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 the Gearbrand does sound like a mythical animal, right?
3: Well, I was I was I was tempted to make a joke about the uh, Gearbrand breeding program there, but I thought I probably be, uh, better not.
2: There you go. We're keeping all this, aren't we, producer Charlie? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Uh, Later on, we'll be joined by Alex Stone, uh, who, of course, is the son of Roger Stone, the Republican operative who got Donald Trump elected. No, he's not. Alex Stone is actually a guy who uh, used to work for the FA, now works for FIFA, and he's going to be talking about uh, FIFA's image and uh, stuff like that. But first, let's start at Wembley. It seems to me, England, this is a procession, England qualifying for the World Cup, so you just don't want to get anything wrong. You experiment in the friendlies, uh, which Gareth Southgate did. Two-nil, easy-peasy, no fuss, no muss. Only so much you can do against an opponent that parks a bus, right?
4: Uh, Yeah, to an extent. Although, even in um, a game such as this, which was, I agree, a procession, and uh, the outcome never felt in any doubt, and there were very few wobbles in it. You can still see the problems and the holes and the things that Southgate has to address. So from quite early on, there was that sense of, oh, it's same old England again. They always lack something that's always quite large. And in this case, it was somebody authoritative in midfield, someone who could bring a touch of class. There was a lot of eager beavers dashing around a lot of people keen to impress a lot of people keen to show that they had energy and I suspect Southgate said embrace your energy and be brave but there was a midfield of Dyer and Oxlade-Chamberlain that looked it wasn't that they weren't trying they just they were just sluggish and lacking in class and I just think oh my goodness we're going to progress through to Russia, but when we get there, that's when you need you need someone to unlock and make those clever decisions. And um, although Henderson can come back into the team, of course, and for the longer term future, I think James Ward-Prowse could be that sort of player. Right now, England, even when they're in a procession mode, look like they're lacking something important.
2: Minute two of the show, I had the over-under at what point Allison was going to mention her friend James Ward-Prowse, and uh, um, sure win, enough, it's happened. Did you win the
4: sweepstake? Did <laughs> you um, win the
2: sweepstake? James, I want to I throw it your direction. Do you agree with, with Alison's assessment? Because, viewed from the outside, as somebody who's not English, if you've got that front four with all the quality of, of, of Dele Alley and, um, and Raheem Sterling and, and whatnot, I don't mind having to... Dyers in front of the back four. I mean, I'm not a big oxy Chamberlain guy, but having I mean, two guys who just simply win the ball when I've got stones behind who can pass and do a little bit of creativity and and have a pretty good front four. Well, what's the problem?
3: I sort of agree with you. I, I think it's kind of, it's not quite a problem area at the moment because, I, as you say, you've got Dyer, and, and I guess Henderson would, would be the first choice to, to play alongside him in, in that two. But I think the lack of depth in that position is quite worrying, which obviously is what led, for example, someone like Jake Livermore to to start against Germany. The options in that sort of withdrawn midfield position are quite slim. You've got Ward Prowse, who Alison mentioned. Oxlade-Chamberlain has played there at at times for Arsenal this season, but, but like you, I'm yet to be convinced that that's really his best position. I think Gareth Southgate will really be hoping that someone like Harry Winks might develop quickly enough to be a possible wildcard for the Russia World Cup squad. The situation is not helped by the fact that I don't think Dyer has necessarily been having a particularly brilliant season. And he, in fact, obviously doesn't necessarily play there in that position all the time for Tottenham. And, and, and Victor Wanyama has, to, to some extent, displaced him from from that role. Clearly we're not at situation critical just yet, but it, it's sort of it is a slight worry, I think, that position.
2: Julian, are we kind of nitpicking here? Because to be fair to Southgate, he said that he's gonna change formation and personnel based on the opponent. He feels comfortable, flexible doing that. And I agree, I mean, I don't think oxlade Chamberlain should be playing in central midfield anywhere, let alone for England. Is it really that Bigger deal. I mean, maybe you play four one four one instead of four two three one. seems to me that if this is the biggest of England's problems, in relatively good shape, no?
5: Yeah, I agree I agree with you. I, I thought Jake Livermore starting against Germany was worse Stop. than, than Oxlade-Chamberlain. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> starting. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were going to get the game backhanded. St- starting yeah. against uh, Lithuania, Jake Livermore, come on. That's an issue for me. Just even to pick him. I'm sorry, Jake. I've got Give nothing it. against you, but that's... Well, Oxley Chamberlain is that much better? It's not much better. It's a I mean, little but, bit better, but, but I agree with Alison and James. It's not. I don't think that's his best position. I don't, I don't think he should play there in the first place. But clearly, a bit like the change of system, maybe maybe Southgate is trying. He's trying yeah, different I, things. He, I, he doesn't know himself. You know what? But there's what's nothing the best wrong combination. with that if
2: you're Southgate, right? I mean, I I, I find it kind of amusing that you know we, we we we're so trained to pick holes in England, right? I think Cascarino wrote about how. There's a lack of an aerial threat in this England team. I mean, come on now. What what do you want? You want the little guys who can play, or do you want the big lumps? I mean, not to mention the fact that Harry Kane's reasonable in the air, right? He's not a he's not a little fella, right? As
4: long as he doesn't take the corners again.
2: Yes, but hopefully, hopefully that's been that's been resolved. Dele Alli's good in the air. Am I being too positive here? Because because I like to be optimistic. No, Allison, I, I, no. I mean, there's a lot of good things, right? Yeah, there
4: is. There are good things. Um, I was just being honest. I'm like, that was my overwhelming <laughs> sensation from the game. Was 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 a glum one. Of I don't see how we can reach the the latter stages of the World Cup with that gap in the, the team. But um, Adam Lalana, the way he just sort of blossoms, and then he blossoms again, and then he blossoms again. So he's blossomed for Liverpool, and he's blossomed for his country. So and, a onion, indeed, and. Uh, that doesn't happen a lot with England players. There's usually a horrible dip or uh, they make a mistake or they go without scoring. But he's either scored or been involved with goals in his last five appearances. He's And he's an elegant, proper international class player, which no one would have guessed at five years ago. So I think that's a, a fantastic plus. And Deli Ali, yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely sure which way his career is going to go, but I certainly feel most people think when they look at him, he's still got... So much more to give. So if he, he, if his progression continues, he's 20 then years you old. have you have. Yeah, but I mean, you can't predict that he's going to continue to be great. Things could happen to him.
2: Yes, <sighs> yes he could be kidnapped by aliens. Indeed, and that was top of my to list of
4: things that might happen. He might become hot-headed and and risky. You never know. You never. Know. Okay, but
5: it's good that at twenty he's ahead. I of like most
4: I'm saying it's a positive. People. You uh, know, positive. you know my
5: problem, by the way, with the change of formation. Who, who else does that? Why, why Southgate? Who else changes formation game to yeah, game? Yeah, game to game. Well, Italy do. Not that often though. Well, look at
2: not I mean, he, he conted it and Ventura's done it and we have I to do know. it because until, well, now we have a crop of younger yeah, players you who try, are pretty yeah. good but before that when we had all the rubbish we had to do it but then again we've got people who are used to playing in different formations and are comfortable with it and don't mind sitting there three hours of you know, repetitive tactical sessions which, of course, English players generally are not used to. And that, that's a good segue to the back three. Is that what you wanted to talk about?
5: Exactly. And I thought it was very good against Germany. And I know there have been injuries between the two games. And that's why maybe as well he, he went back to a back four. But I just hope that he keeps working on that. Because I, I, I did think that he suited most of the players, not Jake Livermore. All right, well, and that it was promising, that's all. And well, I was a bit disappointed that yesterday there was another formation.
2: Well, James, let me throw that to you then. If you're going to play back three, which of course most of these players don't play regularly, you need, presumably in a tournament, you need four good centre-backs because somebody's going to get suspended and injured. Do England actually have four good centre-backs?
3: I think centre-back is is a really interesting position in in the England team because before the Euros, I think everyone thought that Stones and Smalling was going to be the partnership of the future. And both those players, to a certain extent, have have struggled or or even regressed this season. Phil Jones has played quite well for Manchester United, but obviously was injured for this game. And, And of course, Gary Cahill has come back into it with Chelsea. But then with Cahill, you have the whole question of, whether, you know, how much his success this season has been down to the fact that he's played in back three with that extra security and, and whether he'd actually be a good option in a in a two. England probably do just about have enough good centre-backs, possible centre-backs, and there are some good young centre-backs coming through.
2: Yeah, I think Keane has the tools to be really good. Obviously, so the Stones, Smalling, I was shocked, he's 27 now. I mean
5: <laughs> I, I well, what you, you thought he was younger than that?
2: I don't know. Like I, I just kind of feel like between Smalling and Jones, <laughs> we were so excited. I was excited for them. I remember talking to this one scout when he was still at Blackburn who was just raving about what this kid could do. And then it's just like he goes there and his career just he just hits a wall, you know. I simply <laughs> I my my simple problem is that, you know, you generally wanna get as many of your best players on the pitch as possible. Find a formation that works. Center back, I don't think is England's deepest position, so I don't, I don't mind screwing around with a funny formation if I get an extra attacking midfielder on because you've got lots of good ones.
5: It suits your fullbacks better that formation. For it does example. it though when
2: he plays Bertrand, who's kind of like having like another center back at left back.
5: Well, that's a bit harsh.
2: No, no, he's he's good for what he does,
5: but he's not. But then a wing think, back. Think, well, think Walker and Rose then until Walker gets be... injured. Yeah, but you can't always. No, I, I take yes. your point. I take
2: there, your was, point. there
4: was a lack of balance um, against Lithuania in that Walker does do that running up and down, proper wing-back, proper full-back, attacking full-back role, and, and Bertrand doesn't. True,
5: but then Bertrand put that very good cross for Sterling, where Sterling should have scored.
3: I mean, I, I don't think it suits Sterling at all. Well. I mean, I'm slightly struggling to see where Sterling plays in a, in a three-at-the-back formation. I mean, I certainly don't think the world is ready for Raheem Sterling, the wing-back. I mean, he could play in a, a front three, but it, it then you would only have room for two out of Sterling, Ali and Lalana. And and to me those are England's, you know, arguably England's three best players.
2: Unless, and this is a thing, right? Harry Kane's obviously very good when he's fit again. Presumably he'll be your center forward. In terms of depth beyond Kane, you get into a world of Vardy's, who did nothing for the first half of the season, and Sturridge, who seems to have disappeared, and am I forgetting another top England striker? So I'm wondering if maybe is the alternative to, to Kane could it be Sterling up front?
5: Maybe. Do you think if if he had been capable of that, Pep would have tried it already at City? And if Pep hasn't tried him, it's because Pep knows that it's just not <laughs> That's good.
2: Point. Pep strikes right. just about everything. I mean, maybe he will at some point, right? Yeah, maybe.
5: You need you need brains. Two players in force number nine, you need proper brains. That's why someone like Cesc Fabregas was very good at it because he's one of the most clever. If you don't have you know, the proper football brains to understand the whole, it's a very, very difficult job. And I'm not sure everybody can play that role. And I don't know if Sterling can play that
4: role. Ultimately though, it's only a year to the finals. And I don't care. I don't care how old they are. I don't care. I, I liked Vardy's approach. I don't care what Vardy's last six months have been like I like the fact that he he just seemed to have a lot of fun when he came on that's how you progress in a World Cup you play the player who's playing well on the day not three months before on the day doesn't matter how old he is he just got to go out there and be in the form of the moment so I'm I'm happy with that I like that bit of England that Vardy came on and had a, a
2: laugh what One guy we haven't mentioned, and it provides a good segue uh, into our under-21s chat, um, is Marcus Rashford. Uh, Oli Kay has a column in in Monday's game where he argues that Rashford shouldn't be at the adult table. Uh, For the time being, he should be with the under-21s. Looking at the strikers from England's under-21 team, I'm kind of imagining a Marcus Rashford, Tammy Abraham, dream team, strike duo... But James, you're with the under-21s. You'd know better than me. Would
3: you want to see Rashford play under-21s? Well, I'm not sure if I'd have wanted to see Rashford play under-21s uh, this time. Why? Because, this wait, wait,
2: wait, wait, wait. Is it because A.D. Boothroyd's there? He'll probably still be <laughs> there. No.
3: <laughs> just because I think that the um, choice of uh, of strikers for the senior squad was thin, and I, and I think he probably merited a place. But I, I certainly would be thinking very hard about playing Rashford. In the uh, summer under-21 uh, Euros, he could work up front with Abraham. I saw him play against, uh, in what I think is still his one and only under-21 appearance, play against Norway in September when he, he played up front on his own uh, and scored a hat-trick. And, and he was absolutely superb that day. And I would be you know giving serious consideration to, to playing him in the under 21 euros this summer just to, you know, because he's clearly, he's not a first choice senior England player. Uh, So, you know, why, and he's eligible. So why not, why would you not um, give him the the tournament experience and and make that England squad as the the under 21 squad as strong as possible? This England squad, there's not much
5: that excites me. I'm sorry. And really, before the podcast started, we were talking about it and, you know, you and James were raving about some of those guys, and I was like, Really? Like, who excites you? Tell me. Well, I mean,
2: Jordan Pickford's a reasonable right, okay. goalkeeper. A um, keeper
5: turns you on, but apart from a keeper that turns you on, when who I saw Mason,
2: I, actually, did you know the story? What's the deal with When I saw Mason Holgate play at the start of the season for Everton, yeah. I thought he looked really good. i give you that. What's happened to him?
5: You him. No, he's still, in, you know, he's still in. I think when they play three at the back, for example, he then start. Otherwise, there's a lot of competition, I think, at centre-half for Everton. And he, I know he can play right back as well. And my play now that Seamus Coleman got that really bad injury. But I give you him. OK, I give you him. I agree with you. I like him. He excites me. Who else?
4: Defenders there, yeah. Jack Sam, Sam McQueen and Jack Stevens. They're drooling over those players at Southampton. Alfie Mawson at Swansea. He's he's had um, a breakthrough
3: season. The stevens mawson partnership against uh, against Germany was was arguably the uh, the most promising part of, of that England team.
2: Want to bring something else? I I covered this is how old I am. You were probably in um, nursery school at the time, but I covered uh, uh, an under twenty ones in in Holland. Um, and you had Rooney, Aaron Lennon, and some other reasonable dude. Oh, I can't remember. They were all eligible, but they'd all been capped for England. And so they didn't go to the tournament. And I, I remember being struck by how the the media and stuff treated the tournament like some kind of silly summer tin pot, which I thought was actually really bad. I, I, I think youth tournaments are important. I don't think it's a coincidence that... Spain and Germany have won so many of them and then it's translated on to success at senior level because you're still talking about winning a, a European competition, um, an international tournament, in an England shirt and, and this is kind of the future of your team. What's your sense about how the FA and, and how this group of people you know, generally view it? Uh, are, they, are they taking it seriously? Do, 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 they, do they want to win this summer? Would they be prepared to take, perhaps as we said, Rashford and Shaw? Um into the squad for the summer if it if it helps them win
3: well I, I mean we asked Bruce Wood this very question, uh, and he said, yes, there's definitely a strong possibility that players who have played for the seniors could then come and play for the under 21s um this summer and and I think what will kind of potentially favor that scenario is, is the fact that you know Bruce Wood works so closely with Gareth Southgate and Gareth Southgate has obviously just come up to the seniors having been under-21 manager so he, he obviously takes you know extremely keen interest in in that development side i think broadly the uh, eligible players who are currently in the senior squad that could move uh into the under-21s this summer can be kind of split into three groups you've got sterling and alley who, who are eligible um in terms of age i think they're very unlikely to play and and, and frankly i'd sort of not sure necessarily how helpful it would be for England to see them at that level because I mean they're clearly already you know some of the better players in the first choice senior 11 and you then got the likes of Eric Dyer and John Stones who are again uh, like Ali and Sterling that they're, they're probably in a, a an England First choice of senior 11, but both of them have struggled this season to the extent that maybe you would think it might be helpful for them to go to an under 21s tournament. You could suddenly make that argument, I think, that, that it could be helpful to them in terms of confidence and, and, and gaining more international tournament experience. And then you've got a group of players who are not first choice for the England seniors, the likes of Rashford, Shaw. Ward Prowse, Redmond, who I think should definitely play for the under-21s this summer, and I, and I think they may well do so.
2: Okay, I'm going to lay this on the line. I want to get your, your views on this because, to me, it's a no-brainer. I, I know there's England friendlies in, in in June, or not friendlies, but there's competitive games in June, and you might need them for that. But if all these people are eligible for the under-21s, and given especially the history of English football, right? All these young players are hanging out on the England team. You're talking to Captain Wayne Rooney. He's like, hey, Wazza, what's it like to win something in an English shirt? Gee, I would know because I've been a perpetual loser since I've come here. Wouldn't it be good? You finally have this... Inc- he he this... doesn't
4: know what the word perpetual means. No, come OK.
2: But, but you have this generation of people who've only known success with their club sides, not with a national team, not in an England shirt, uh, there's there's no Olympics, no track cycling nonsense to go and distract you this summer. Why not go all in and bring all these people in? And while you're at it, maybe bring Southgate too, so we don't have to see 80 Booth right.
3: My kind of only reservation with bringing them all in, and I and I am kind of would kind of be tempted to do that because I think you know I kind of want to see that eleven because I think it's a really good eleven. But if if you were to bring Every player who is eligible into the under-21s for this summer, you might end up with a front six that looks something like Dyer and Ward-Prowse. Then you could have Sterling, Alley, Redmond, uh, and maybe Rashford up front. That is actually not dissimilar to an England, you know, the front six in an England senior team. And I then think you're you're almost getting to the stage where you're wondering, you know, (laughs) what, what is the point of playing... This, you know, uh, what is almost a, a senior team at under twenty-one level. No, 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 so, the
2: point, sorry, but the other benefit, if you're going to do that, is you've got this front six who would benefit from having a whole summer on the, ahead of the World Cup one year before. We go through a whole tournament experience together. We build chemistry and we build unity and we
5: win in an England shirt. Am I wrong, Julian? You're not wrong. Thank Just think you. about the 2015 and the 21 European Championship, which was a complete disaster for England when Harry Kane. Was brought in. there was that same debate with Harry Kane Shall we take Harry Kane should we not should we take him he went there after a very long season already he was he was dreadful England were dreadful they finished bottom of their group even Italy beat them I mean come on <laughs> there was no positives in Kane being there you know he went there if you, if you say yeah but it's a good experience a year later he went to the Euros and it was as bad in the normal Euros than in the under 21 a year before so I'm not so sure that the experience is that great Secondly, I don't think it's that easy for players who have England caps already or regular in the, in the Premier League to come down and play with under-21 in a tournament like this. It looks great and it looks fantastic. That front six that James mentioned looks great. I'm not sure one is that easy.
4: Ah, you've, put, you've put your finger Two, on it, Julian. No, no, no.
5: Two, they all have had, well, most of them would have had a very, very long season already at club level. And then to go on and have probably three friendlies before... A full training camp again for that under-21. The whole under-21 tournament, which means no summer, some of them who played in the Euros the last summer would have had no summer already in 2016. I just think it's a lot for those players. And again, I don't think it's that easy to... Because they're there, we're going to win it. Well, in 2015, no, England. Right. So. So, no, no, you're so right. They, so, so no, then, let's go
2: and send Solly March and Solly no. Woodrow. No, you're, okay. right. you're right. No, 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 no. The Point
4: about Harry Kane is spot on. But actually, you've got to learn from that. And what you learn from that, it is not fair to make Harry Kane the focal point. He was the star. He was going to go in and save the team single-handed. And it was every question at every Tottenham press conference was, "Is this going to be detrimental to his league form for the club?" And do you want him to go? And it was, it was became a bit of an obsession. If you send them all, if you pack the team with everyone who's already a star and eligible and capped for their first team, it's a completely different vibe, I think.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend.
2: joining us from FIFA headquarters in Zurich. Hello, good morning. Morning, Alex. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, With me are James Gearbrandt, Julian Lawrence, and Alison Rudd. Now, Alex, do you want to tell us who you are and what you do?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'll try. Um, So I've been at FIFA now uh, about eight and a half years. Uh, When I first joined, I was in the press office for about four and a half years. I joined from the English FA. And then since March 2013, uh, I've been overseeing all of our social media work here and trying, trying very hard to find ways for FIFA to better engage with fans, to have a more regular dialogue with fans, to better explain some of the things that we do here and perhaps slowly but surely over time. Challenge a few of the perceptions that are understandably out there, uh, and shine a light on you know the very diverse work that happened under this roof.
2: I was at a conference in in Portugal on Friday, and uh, your boss was there, John uh, Infantino, and he spoke about how FIFA went through the darkest period in its history by far. I don't think we need to, to go through it. I think we all know we all know what happened. Can you talk a little bit just about the difference though between The people who sit on the executive committee, who actually most of them aren't actually FIFA employees, um, and the distance sort of that exists between them and the sort of day-to-day FIFA, uh, who are the actual employees in that that glass building who go to work and have nine-to-fives.
1: Yeah, or actually more than nine to five. So there was a very interesting article was um, an interview essay with our reasonably new Secretary General, and she said uh, one of the things that she noticed uh, at the end of last year were the hours that people work here. And if anybody's ever come to our headquarters, they see that we sort of clock in and clock out Uh, With a fingerprint, very James Bond, but it basically then tracks how long people are working and I think she said there was about 149,000 extra hours worked last year by people here who are on the staff So people who you know, just very passionate about what they do But a lot of the work we do is actually beyond nine to five because obviously we're working with organizations around the world Especially when it comes to organizing tournaments on different time zones So we have to to be very flexible on that to go back to your point. I mean, I suppose easiest way to explain it is there's between 450 and 500 staff who work in Zurich across a couple of the different buildings here. Um, I think there's more than 40 uh, nationalities represented. Of the staff themselves, it's around 60% women, 40% men. So again, that would sometimes surprise quite a few people. Uh, And as you said, we're the people who come in here every day. Uh, The committee members, the old ones or the new ones are people generally who either work for a football association or a confederation organisation, um, and they're maybe in Zurich three or four times a year. So, I suppose we've discussed this in the past. The idea that you know when people say FIFA are corrupt, there's a very different distinction between you know the everyday FIFA, the people who work here. And the perception that's out there that's been generated by, by some of those people in the past and, of course, some of the people who worked here in the past. But the people who worked here um, certainly very much in the minority when you use that um, phrase, I would say.
4: How on earth did you keep morale going when, when every headline and every discussion was just on how dreadful the corruption and how far-reaching it was?
1: Yeah, I think it's hard. I mean again it depends I suppose what your role is and how pub facing it is or um you know some people may or may not read you know a lot of the media that's out there. Um and some, like myself, especially because I used to work in a press office, read all of it. Um, and it's frustrating. Um, it's it's hard. And also, you know, uh, you've got friends, uh, people you've known a long time, who then start to sort of ask questions about you. And at the beginning, it's, you know, they're joking. But after a while, you know, there's a little bit of suspicion even, you know, against people like yourself. And that's obviously not easy to deal with but on the other hand you know the reality you know the reality of what you do um how you're paid you know the the perks if you like that we have for example like there's a full size football pitch outside so it's a bit like i always think being back at school where at playtime you used to go and kick a tennis ball around a playground here on a tuesday and friday you can go and play football and you put on your favorite team shirt and you have a knockabout um it's very different to, to what people think but i mean uh, yeah i think i would lie if it said it didn't affect me i think there are other people for whom it Perhaps impacts on differently, but at the end of the day, you know who you are and you know what you do, and that's the only thing that you can sort of keep thinking about, really. Um, and and you know um, that unfortunately, names I'm sure you will know, perhaps lost a little bit of uh, why they were coming here in the first place. But you know, the past is a past, and the past will keep coming back. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that go on here, were going on here, that have nothing to do with that, and that's I guess the focus for the majority of people here.
2: Yeah, I was struck by this blog post that, that you'd written uh, a while back where, I mean, it was at the height of the scandal where, you know, you talked about how it was affecting you and your personal life with people sort of joking and making accusations. And you talked about, I think you were, you, you drove like a 12-year-old car and, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I want to uh, take move on to to, to to your job because obviously the way we, we experience and digest football is changing. Uh, James, who's, who's with us on the line from Denmark, is far younger than all of us. He doesn't even have a paid television subscription. In fact, I'm pretty sure he doesn't watch television. He probably just bit torrents everything and, uh, and, and, and sits there watching YouTube videos all day in his spare time. Um, is part of your job trying to transition away from most of us have experienced football either by going to games, if we're fortunate enough to be near one, or, or through television? Is that part of what your task with doing is delivering football to people?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we, we sort of tried to nail it down into four, four chunks, really, around the last World Cup. Um, what we do in terms of digital social media, I would say, compared to a lot of sports, say, in the US, is still very much at the beginning of our journey. So uh, 2014 was the first World Cup that FIFA had where it used Facebook, it used Instagram and Twitter. So, you know, for a lot of sports organizations out there, particularly clubs, People at like the NBA, you know, they're, they're way ahead in terms of the sophistication of what they do. For us, we were really dipping our toe in the water just to see where people come from now, uh, what platforms they use to, to find that information about the World Cup. And we tried to segment it into four parts. So the first part is football is fairly obvious. Um... The second part was about FIFA, the organization, some of the things that we were doing around the event. Uh, more, I would say, the sort of the developmental CSR kind of initiatives. One was around just having fun.
2: Alex, stop. Corporate speak. Yeah. I'm not going to let you say CSR without, getting, okay. without, without explaining what it is.
1: Corporate social responsibility, long story short, we have an event every World Cup, I think the first one I remember was in South Africa, where effectively there's organisations around the world, they're under an umbrella organisation called Football for Hope. These are predominantly NGOs that we give a very small amount of funding to every year. These people do incredible work, and we invite then kids from all around the world to come to the country where the World Cup's being hosted, and they not only have a football tournament themselves, but they have sort of workshops, educational workshops, cultural exchange kind of stuff. Um, and so that sort of thing is happening on the on the ground. And again, it's something we try to obviously explain that um, these are things that we organize, facilitate. A lot of people don't know that because they're focused very much on the football. Um, yeah, we have a lot of games, interactive kind of things where fans can get involved. And the one thing that we didn't do much of in Brazil, but very much drives a lot of the work I do now is around facilitating the fan journey. So again, sounds corporate speak, but basically, how can we help people? You know, if you go to Russia, for example, in 2018, and you don't understand the Cyrillic alphabet, how can we help fans coming from all around the world in different languages, just to find their way around to find out information about tickets or transportation, things that are going on in the stadium, what time they need to arrive, what can they take in? Um, You know, just trying to basically do a a kind of customer service kind of thing um which again a lot of people don't think we would do because you know fifa are this big distant organization who don't care about fans but this is what drives me because i am a fan i realize how lucky i am Ironically, based on the previous conversation of how I am the work here, because I grew up as a five-year-old kid, and from that point, I fell in love with football. Um, and what we try to think is, well, if I wasn't working here, but I was going to one of these events, what would I want FIFA to be doing? That just help me get around the country and basically, um, you know, have a good time as best as possible.
2: James, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you ask the next question because, other than professional footballers, you're the only 20-something person I know. Um, and your media habits are different from mine and uh, people over the age of 30 or indeed 40. Um, what do you want Alex to do for you?
3: One thing that comes to mind, which I always think is brilliant, is is in American sports. And I, and I don't know how feasible this is. But, for example, in the NBA or, or in the NFL, uh, actually, uh, particularly the NBA, I think, you can go onto the website, the NBA.com website, after each match and and basically watch the the highlights of of each game for free which kind of you know pointed contrast with um, football where for example I know FIFA takes down 10 greatest world cup goals videos off off YouTube so uh, I mean that uh, that's just kind of an, an interesting disparity that kind of springs to mind.
1: I mean, in terms of what we do, um, so for each of our events, we always have, uh, I think it's about two, two and a half minute free highlights that are on our website that come through our YouTube channel. Um, The takedown is obviously something that we experienced probably for the first time in 2014. The number of fans who are uploading their own uh, clips, creating their own clips or taking things off TV. and, And, you know, this is something that I guess, if I'm honest, wasn't really something I was prepared for or I don't think the organization were. And that, is something we have to very much protect the broadcasters for because at the moment that's the the basis of how fifa generates the bulk of its revenue through selling those tv rights it's been a big conversation here certainly over i think the last two years around how can we make more of that kind of content that fans we know from football but from other sports want more and more which is that short form snackable kind of video uh, we obviously are working i think quite closely with our rights broadcasters to see how that can be um sort of organized i think we tested this with fox in canada for the last women's world cup in 2015 where they were allowed to cut and clip and upload um, goal clips very quickly it was hugely popular across the us but again i guess you could argue that some of our um sort of contracts and also our model in terms of how we base our revenue on is a little bit different a bit a bit more older shall we say um, than compared to some of these other sports but we are talking to them all the time and talking to the platforms just to find out what can we do more and more of because i think when i look at our stats every week of uh, where we engage people On social media it's the one big gap there's the big glaring gap that we don't create enough video which we know from from other sports and we know from feedback from fans that's the one thing they want more of so I think that's our biggest challenge. We know what they want. We know what, that GAP exists for us, and it's just trying to find ways and being creative around how we can do that, whether that's through ourselves or working with you know, rights holders who have that potential, and then creating almost like a menu for fans to say, well, if you're in the UK, the BBC have got the rights. They're going to do this, so you can follow their channels. And we create – sorry about Gab. it's a bit of a buzzword – but an ecosystem where we also signposts. Um, fans where they can get that kind of stuff.
2: One solution as as this goes on might be broadcasters getting into the idea that if people take their content and put it on YouTube, it promotes them and you know, figuring out a way to do that. Maybe even FIFA holding back five minutes of highlights and actually encouraging people to go and cut them into their own videos and whatever else. And at the same time saying if you use other highlights, then you get in trouble, but you don't need to because you can go and use these ones. Alex, I'm going to leave you with this. You you used to, to work for the FA. I'm assuming you're an England fan, correct?
1: Indeed, yes. Watching the game last night, although my son was born in Switzerland and doesn't show quite the same level of enthusiasm. He's I'm more Quite a, happy that the Swiss have won five out of five in their group at the moment. He's more a of hard.
2: a <laughs> kind of guy. Um,
1: yeah, exactly. It's tough. You. Even around the Euros, I asked him what shirt he wanted to buy and... Uh, he wanted the red one with a, a cross on it, and not the other kind of England St George's <laughs> cross. So uh, that's a, that's a tough one to get your head around. But uh.
2: that's awful, man. Anyway, Joe, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, come
5: on. So football fandom is patriarchal, right? Alex's son was born in Switzerland. So, so what? It's well, of birth. Yeah, but still, naturally, he goes to school with you know Swiss people, and his friends are Swiss, and naturally, the same with my kids.
2: You're gonna tell me you?
5: Well, no, up. but I have to push hard for France. You know what I mean? Like your kids and are their you,
2: your kid, Welsh you, and
5: they were born in London, your and kids it's support like a mess. France
2: and Wales, please tell me you don't support England.
5: No, because I did a lot of work. You know, <laughs> very early age. Uh,
4: Alex, but, you're basically being accused of not working hard enough on your yeah. son. Yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, something I hear often at home, actually. So, uh, <laughs> especially when you're supposed <laughs> to be an that expert. on board. You're supposed to be an expert on media
2: and communications. Uh, I'll leave you. <laughs> I'll leave you with this question: What's going to happen first? England to win a world cup or FIFA to start getting good press?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. I think, I think I see little, I see little glimmers. I see little glimmers of good press, very little glimmers, but I think there's, there's an understanding of what we need to do. Uh, we also need to work much harder. I know this is a conversation we've also had in the past about how we communicate with people and being far more open. Uh, England to win a world cup. Well, that'd be amazing. Um, I watched a game last night. Hard to tell. I know would like both to happen, but I'm going to go for the good press because uh, I can I can control that more than I can what goes on on the pitch for England. <laughs> <There you
0: go. laughs> but it's cool. It's great
1: to see some younger players, and uh, I, I like I like what Gareth's saying. Um, i Have a lot of respect for some of the stuff he's trying to do. So let's see. Let's see if he's a new approach, bringing a lot of those players through from the 21s. Um, yeah, you never know. You never know. There's there's a lot of good teams out there, not too many that are really outstanding. So you never know.
2: Okay, enough FIFA. How about everybody's favorite part of the show? How about some quick hits? Germany beat England in a friendly and then beat Azerbaijan. Yeah, big deal. But Alison, I want to ask you about the man honored by the Germans against England, one Lukas Podolski, 130 caps, 49 international goals, a World Cup winner, silverware in three different countries, and yet a figure of fun for some. Have we been a bit unkind to him?
4: Well, I don't know who's being unkind. I mean, people didn't like the speeches and the accolades and the the honouring that went on in the game against England. But for goodness' sake, he's only thirty-one. I mean, it's a fairy tale quit, isn't it? You you score against England, the old enemy, uh, on home soil. You you go at the peak of your game and you go knowing that you are beloved. I don't quite see what there is to be uh, cruel about that. I think he's done it spot on. A lot of people could learn from that.
2: Minor correction. The old enemy thing, that only works one way. Germany's used to having everybody else consider them their biggest rivals. And Germany, I don't think, consider anybody their biggest rivals.
4: England have beaten them three times.
2: Yes, they don't care about you. They just point to the four stars on their chest. And a few more euros as No, well. but it's true. Everybody thinks, oh, Germany's our biggest rival. England thinks it. Italy thinks it. Holland thinks it. They're obsessed with it, right? That's true. And the Germans are like, "Pa" Silly little people. <laughs> Scotland get a late, late, late goal to beat Slovenia, not for the first time, and they move up to fourth place in the group. Um, James, you've written a thing or two on Scottish football recently, and yes, I am trolling you. Um, this is just prolonging the agony, isn't it?
0: Well, in, in
2: terms of their qualification chances,
3: I don't necessarily think so. I mean, uh, they're now only two points behind um, Slovakia, who currently occupy the, the second place, the the playoff spot, and they've still got the home game against Slovakia to come. Now, I know Slovakia have done better in recent tournaments that are qualifying than Scotland have, but I don't think they're necessarily a hugely better team. So purely in terms of qualifying, I think they've got a live chance. Whether it would have been better in the long run for Scottish football to have suffered a result that would have forced the removal of Golden Strachan, that is another argument entirely. Oh,
2: you're saying they'd be better off without we, Gordon
3: no, I, I, didn't even get my toe in that, uh, in that particular argument. It's it, it's just another question.
2: Olivier Giroud scores twice as France beat Luxembourg 3-1. Um, but Julian, the real story is once again Kylian Mbappe and his debut. When I wrote this last night, I said reportedly Manchester United are now obsessed with him too. But of course, in Spain you had uh, uh, all these stories about Real Madrid wanting Mbappe to team up with Karim Benzema. Which sounds absolutely demented to me because then what do you do with Gareth Bale and and or Cristiano and their gigantic contracts? But
5: anyway, um, I don't think he's going to move this summer. Am I wrong? No, you're right, Gab, as, as, ha- as often almost always advantage um, gap unless unless someone offers 110, 120 million which again you know some people might do that but that's that's how much he's going to be worth next, next, next summer the summer after because it's just so good made his debut 18 three months and five days almost called on his first touch the guy is sick and future is really bright for him.
2: Wales against Northern Ireland was what some of us might call red-blooded with a whole gaggle of nasties. Uh, Taylor on Coleman. And by the way, Coleman looks like a really bad injury. Gareth Bale on O'Shea. Whelan on Allen. And they're supposed to be club teammates. Alison, is this just stuff happening and Coleman was unlucky?
4: Well, of course, of course he was unlucky. and you. No one would claim that that Taylor was, was trying to break anybody's leg. But what's going on here, if anything is going on, is that I think Wales are a very frustrated team. They left the Euros as heroes and all they can seem to summon is draw after draw. And it doesn't look terribly exciting and it looks like their qualification for the World Cup might be in jeopardy. And when that happens, you start resorting to the old... Qualities of passion and guts and going for it. And if you go too far, then sometimes the tackles go too far as well.
2: Cristiano Ronaldo's two goals at the weekend bring his career total to 70, meaning he's 12th on the all-time list, level with um, Stern John. Uh, He's 14 behind the highest-ranked European Frank Pushkash and a whopping 39 behind the world record holder Ali Day. Simple question, James. Ronaldo's 32 and has 70. Messi is 29 and has 58. Neymar is 25 and he has 51. Who out of those three is going to end up with the most when they retire? Well, I
3: don't think anyone is going to overtake um, Ali Dai. But uh, I think looking at those trajectories, you would have to say that Neymar is likely to end up with the most goals out of out of those players. Which is kind of uh, incredible, I and mean, Messi suffers from the same thing. But but obviously, whereas Ronaldo gets to play against some very weak nations in European qualifying, obviously South American qualifying is much, much more competitive, and there are fewer weak teams. So, I mean, for Neymar to finish ahead of Ronaldo, would would be kind of extraordinary, but I think it, it will happen. And
2: the other thing, of course, is Neymar only occasionally plays at centre-forward. Um, and I suppose the one thing in Ronaldo's favour is that he plays for no disrespect a weaker national side, so you could imagine Ronaldo playing on until he's forty. Whereas you know Neymar and Messi will presumably face more competition once their skills decline.
5: The one that looks really bad is Messi, then. Though. And and we all know that you know it's far difficult for him at international level. But still, you know it's
2: hey, those numbers. Really, considering really the team he plays me. for, and it's, yeah, I was I know, like, wow. I know. I know. We may need to do some reevaluating soon. Julien, for those who don't know, Brazil have been scarily good in South America, winning seven of seven games under Tite. They beat Uruguay 4-1 away after going a goal down. Paulinho, former Tottenham star Paulinho, getting a hat-trick. Whereas Argentina stunk it up. They beat Chile 1-0, but they're Messi dependent. They're pretty
5: awful. Um, Anything you'd like to add? Yes, so I did the Marcotti uh, because the Brazil game kicked off at 11 UK time on Wednesday night or Thursday night. The Argentina game kicked off at 11.30, so I had the two screens and the, watching the two games. And one was so boring, the Argentina cheated. Noth- I, j- I just don't understand how you can have so many good players if you're Argentina and playing so badly. It just doesn't make any sense. Aguero, Messi, Di Maria and Higuain all started together. Uh, with Mascherano and Belia behind them, it just, it was not, there was no flow to it. Brazil, on the other hand, I thought were incredibly good and outstanding and they were one nil down after Cavani scored a penalty and then scored four goals. They could have scored more. They were that good. Remember November, Brazil thrashed Argentina 3-0. I know it was in Brazil, but still, and the eight points clear of Argentina in the ranking seven of Uruguay and like you said, Tite doing an amazing job. And this week, Argentina play in Bolivia, okay. which they will, they will have no oxygen and you know, they will struggle, I think, where Brazil play Paraguay and I think he's going to be a walk in the park. But they're fascinating, those uh, South America qualifiers.
2: FIFA rankings have Argentina at number one and Brazil at number two. Yeah, I crazy.
5: know, they are
1: what they are. But, I know, but... Are Brazil
5: the
2: best team in the world right now?
5: Um, I, I've, for for I've been watching the last three games, I have to say, I don't see anyone. They have... Ahead so of much. Germany and Spain? Yeah, 100%. Huh? Maybe, if, okay, France. France is still the best. All right, easy there. Gab, one for you. You wrote about Holland's troubles in Bulgaria and Danny Blint being sacked. Tell us more.
2: Yeah, I was absolutely fascinated by this because uh, Holland are in a very, very tough qualifying group. Um, they basically needed to avoid defeat uh, against Bulgaria. And Danny Blint in central defence, he's without his first choice defensive partnership of Virgil van Dijk and Stefan de Vrij. But he still has other center backs like Wesley Hutt, who's been starting all year for Lazio and is 23 and is reasonable. No, what does he do? He chooses this guy named Matthijs delict this Ajax defender. 17 years old. Yeah, the youngest ever uh, starter in a competitive game for Holland. Two league starts under his belt in the Eredivisie, uh, a couple games in the Europa League. Five minutes in, the guy's just terrible. He just totally loses a ball in the air. Then he trips over the goalkeeper. They go a goal down. And 20 minutes again, he loses his man. Uh, they're 2 0 down. Um, the first time ever that they've been 2 0 down so early in a game, absolutely horrendous. Unsurprisingly, Danny Blinn's been sacked. Uh, he's been replaced by the wonderfully named Fred Grimm. Um, I know from the blind to the grim, but I have to say, I was really, really bothered by this by seeing this guy delict out there. To take a young player, to throw him in at the deep end like that. And, and it's difficult. It's difficult to... You can say Kylian Mbappe's is also 18. Yeah, but Kylian Mbappe comes on as a sub in a game that they've already won. Plus, sure. Kylian Mbappe started 20 games for Monaco. This guy, it was just unnecessary. It was awful. It was some weird flight of fancy from from Blint. And um, and yeah, those of us who have a soft spot for the Oranje
5: are so, sad. I've got a funny story. On Friday, I had a meeting with a sporting director of a Premier League club and we were talking about position they needed and they want a centre-back and I said, by the way, have you seen that Matthias De Licht at Ajax? He's 17, but he's going to be amazing. He looks so good. Blah, blah, blah. And I big the kid a big time, you know? And the guy was like, yeah, yeah, we've watched him, we've scouted him, you know, we, we saw him with the reserve, blah, blah, we You know, but you sure, yeah, 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 the guy's going be amazing. The next day, he does what he did with the Hollands.
2: You know what he looks like? He looks like a two-footed Slower, bad version of Frittonen. <laughs> oh, you're,
5: no, you're harsh. You're no, harsh. it's going to be great. I no,
2: think. the reason people we get excited about this guy is because he's two-footed and he plays yeah. with his head held high he's and he looks. Elegant, yeah. He looks confident and elegant. But there's no reason right. to put him in this there position. In this. There's no yeah. reason to. I, 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 I just feel for him. Right. That's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my excellent guests today. Alex Stone from FIFA HQ. By the way, Julian, did you know that there was a there's a meditation room in the basement of FIFA headquarters? At like floor, like minus five, you go all the way down. There's this thing. Yeah, it looks like this. It looks like the thing you have. You know, like the British Museum. They have those replica <laughs> of like Egyptian temples and stuff. That's kind of what it looked like. There's all this mood lighting and the soft music. It's the non-denominational meditation room. Wow. It's it's kind of neat. We also were joined by the excellent Alison Rudd. Thank you, Alison. Uh, Julian Lawrence. And down the line from Denmark, it's James Gearbrand. Remember, you can subscribe to our newspaper, The Times. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Not that difficult. You can just search The Times online. Please press that subscribe button on wherever you choose to download your podcast. And, but only if you're going to leave a nice review, leave a review on iTunes if you happen to be listening on an Apple device. Julien has something he'd like to
5: say. Please vote for us for the British Podcast Awards. You can easily find the the, the link on on uh, on the internet, and we you might can even tweet it. Yeah, we will tweet it as well. And you go in the game and you vote for us as best uh, sports podcast. Please, best football podcast if you enjoy it. And and then Gab we go on stage and have a little speech and uh, say thank you if we win.
2: That's right. And I might even go and get one of my nerd computer programmer friends to go and and design a little bot that uh, can go and vote sort of a million times per minute.
3: Yes, let's do that.
2: Ha! Take that.
3: (laughs) The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.